I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. A pleasure as always to have you here on the GM Shuffle with us. Hope you're all keeping safe and sound. Self-quarantining continues And as always, we'll have plenty of NFL conversation, including Mike's excellent call in The Athletic, which is about what actually led Tom Brady out of New England. We'll suggest places, possible landing spots for Cam Newton, plus XFL stars being signed and why Trent Williams is fed up with the Redskins. But as always, Mike, we tie everything with the Sopranos. This situation we're in right now, COVID-19 and not knowing what's going on, what scene does it remind you of from Tony and the boys? Well, it really reminds me of when Johnny Sack was complaining about the, you know, he wanted to sit down for when they were kidding about Jenny Sacks, you know, if you put your hands on her, you lose your hands, you know, and, and the biggest, the mole, she, you know, that line and Johnny Sack found out about it and he demanded a sit down, right? And then they try to work the phones out because Uncle Junior's at home eating olives. Tony and Syl are in in Jersey, you know, and they got the other guys somewhere else. And so they're trying to figure out the conference call on how to work it. It's kind of reminds me you're in one spot on a remote. I'm on another on a remote trying to figure it out. And Joe's on another remote trying to figure it out. And we're having (laughs) and we're having a sit down. Although we're not talking about Jenny Sachs ass, but we are having a sit down. Yeah, I was always amazed that Johnny Sack couldn't figure out that it was Ralph who was the one that said it. The 400-pound mole removed from her ass. Like, who else do you think would make a crass kind of comment like that? Had to be Ralph who would make something such, such an insensitive comment about a guy's wife. I mean, it's so good. I mean, like, you know, I like when he says, you know, we bend the rules more than the Catholic Church here in terms of trying to hug the man to sit down. It's always about money. Yeah, it's about money, asshole. Let's, <laughs> you know, name your price. <laughs> yeah, I love that Johnny was willing to defend his wife's honor, but you're right. The other day, Ralph was a good earner. You know what? Just take it easy. He'll apologize. We'll move on. Pay the price. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this was great. This is Mike's column in The Athletic. I encourage you all to check it out. This is an excerpt that I'll like to uh, Mike go on in further detail. Albert Einstein once said, if I had only one hour to save the world, I would spend 55 minutes defining the problem and only five minutes finding the solution. Defining the Brady problem has been the real issue all along. 
The problem did not start last year after the Super Bowl lost the Eagles. It started back in 01 when Brady first took over the starting job. With Brady under center every season except for 08 when he missed the year with a torn ACL, the Patriots won 232 regular season games, 127 of which came at home. They won 30 playoff games, lost just 11, and hoisted the Lombardi Trophy six times. As crazy as it sounds, it was 19 years of total domination that became the problem, not because of ego, but because of longevity. 19 years is a long time. Day after day of the same routine, regardless of the outcome, can wear on anyone, especially a megastar. Go ahead and explain that further, Mike. Yeah, you know, I think, and I'm not trying to discredit anyone's column that has reports about, you know, and Seth Wickersham does a great job at ESPN, and he talked about how after the Patriots lost to the Eagles, you know, Brady was really frustrated. There was a lot of people frustrated after that loss. In fact, I talked to somebody after that loss that asked me the question, how in the hell did we lose that game? We didn't fucking punt, you know? And so that game clearly was a point of of consternation with a lot of people. But I think this, I think it was the fact that when you're in the same system over and over again and you're asked to do it constantly, and, and the line that I think is really the most telling line of the column is the more the Patriots won, the larger the culture grew. The more Brady had to give of himself to the culture, the more he wanted freedom from the very thing he helped create. And I think that really is the essence of why he left. I think that's the essence. And you can say he wanted money. Well, yeah, I think he did want money. I think he wanted recognition. But again, that's stepping outside the culture. He wanted to be recognized for being a good guy. He wanted to get away from being in the team meeting and getting yelled at. Again, that's stepping outside the culture. So I think it's accumulation of things that only occurs when you win. It only occurred. This would not have been a problem if they weren't winning or if their culture was based on two or three players like the Colts were with Peyton Manning. I think there is a part of Tom that watched Peyton Manning from afar and was envious of Peyton's ability to be able to have that kind of lifestyle. He was not envious of Peyton not being able to win, but I think he was envious of that. It's always you. We all want what we don't have, right? And I think that's a little bit of where this is. Yeah, a friend of mine we were talking recently, he said, listen, even the best job in the world has some downsides. Like We love what we do for a living, you and me and so many of us out there, but there's always some downsides to it as well. And you're right, for Tom Brady, there was always some issues with being Tom Brady, whatever those may be. And you say on the outside, I don't understand that, but I think you're right. When you're in the situation, it can always be a little bit better. And later on in your article, as you explained it, he is older, wiser, experienced, and knows what he wants, yet the system and how the Patriots operate remains unchanged. When the shift between player and culture occurs, change is the only solution. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, and I think this too, and I, and I touched on a little bit, and I think if, if anybody remembers, now, Phil Jackson didn't write at length about this in his book, but he did talk about it, and there was a column, I couldn't find it, I believe it was in the Sporting News, and I couldn't find it online, but there was a column about how Phil really did not want to coach Kobe at the end of his career. Because Kobe wasn't the same player that he thought he was. And because Kobe wouldn't accept it, he was older, he knew, it was going to be hard for Phil to reason with him. And he would rather have left because it was Kobe's team. It wasn't Phil's team. Phil came in. He wanted to leave to let Kobe have that freedom, to let Kobe be able to be his own person, even though Kobe wasn't the same player. I think fans don't understand that. I think we miss that link in terms of great players are harder to coach at the end than they are at the beginning. 
And great players rarely see the decline in their play. And I'm not suggesting that Tom has a decline because in 2013, you could easily have said Tom was declining. But then from 14 to 18, Tom was probably the five best years of his career and won three Super Bowls and, you know, was dominant. And so for me, I think that played another part into it. It's hard to see that. It's hard to understand all of that that goes into it. And I think unless you're truly in the locker room and understand the mechanics behind the relationships, it's challenging. And it's going to be a continual challenge for Tom as he tries something new. I hope he succeeds and I hope he does great. And I think there's a personal sense of freedom. I feel it really feel like that mole that was on Jenny Sachs' ass is kind of the same size as the thing that was on Tom's shoulders, <laughs> right? You know, he just needed to lift it off. Yeah, there was no monkey in his back as a 400-pound mole they needed to remove it. Um, did you see Terry Bradshaw's comment, by the way, Mike? I know everyone, it's interesting, everyone's got an opinion on it, but I, I know Bradshaw, not just because he's an analyst for Fox and obviously a very funny guy, but he himself is, of course, a four-time Super Bowl champion, knows something about being with a great system. And he actually, in his comments, said he thinks that ego led Tom Brady away from the Patriots. He actually doesn't agree with the move at all. And uh, I mean, the exact quote is, why in the world does he want to keep on playing at 43 other than to prove to New England he's more important than Bill Belichick? That's the way I would look at it. Why the hell do you want to go to Tampa? The only thing I can think of is ego gets involved. You decide, I'll show him who's more important. I would never have done that. And I was shocked he was leaving. Shocked. I've never known a great quarterback at the end of his career go to another team and do anything. Pretty harsh. Uh, you know, but I got to think, and I don't think this is ego-driven. I think this is mole-driven to get that mole off his ass. I think it's more the mole. Could you ever imagine we could compare Jenny Sack to Tom Brady? I mean, think about that now. <laughs> think about that. Have you seen her do anything, the Jenny Sack actress? I mean, seriously, have you seen her do? Would you like to have been at that casting call when they were casting Jenny Sack? Okay, oh. every fat woman who acts, come on in. You know, <laughs> with, with the whole New York State, every fat woman, come on in, please. Imagine if you didn't get the role and like, you know, David Chase's people had to call and get, sorry, you're just not fat enough. Okay, I understand. Yeah, exactly. Am I not fat enough? I'll eat more. I can get fatter, I promise. A anyway, I think Bradshaw's right. I think Bradshaw's completely accurate. I think he just felt like, you know what? I mean, tell me, like, I think Emmett Smith, I saw his commentary. He felt the same way. I know this is dangerous. Look, I don't think the Bucks have any idea, really. Reading their commentary, I don't think they really know what they're getting. They're saying they're not going to change the offense. No, I think this is all bullshit. You better do what Tom does really well at this point in his life because we all know this. As you get older, the less you do, it becomes apparent. You don't do everything well. I mean, you become the truly the Fred Palermo theory. The less you do, the better off you are. You know, it's the Fred Palermo theory. Look, if I go to a diner, I'm ordering a burger. They can't cook everything good, right? Well, you know, Tom's at a point in his life, he can't cook everything good. He's got to cut that menu down. And I think that Terry and I think Emmett, guys that have experienced it. And I put the at the end of the column, I put a line in there that I said, after three months of playing some games as they get ready to play, how's Tom going to react? Because this is a key point I think everybody doesn't understand because people assume it happens because when you're in the New England system, you think getting prepared for a game happens in every city. And the difference between how New England prepares and how most teams prepare is dramatically different. And I think that could be – Tom's going to wake up one day and say, wow, wait a minute, this is not usually how I'm doing it. 
Bradshaw had one other comment. He's no Ben Roethlisberger. He can't stay in and take the hit. He's a tall guy, but he's not a strong guy. Do I want him to succeed? Absolutely. He's 43. I mean, 43. 43. I can't imagine that. Can you? And I'm sure Brady's going to use all this and and use it as fuel. Uh, Speaking of star quarterbacks and going out there and trying to prove the doubters wrong, how about Cam Newton? He gets his release from the Panthers, and now we start to speculate where could he go. Uh, I was on a radio show yesterday in San Diego, and I said, I think the Chargers make a lot of sense. they got a huge void there right now. Phillip Rivers gone. They swung and missed on Brady. I know there's talk about the Redskins and reuniting with, uh, obviously, Ron Rivera and their successful partnership if they don't believe that Dwayne Haskins is the answer. But those are the two that pop out to me, Mike, Redskins and Chargers for Cam Newton. Well, let's start first with Kyle Allen, okay? So Kyle Allen, Scott Turner loves Kyle Allen. Scott Turner's now the offensive coordinator in Washington. Coached Kyle Allen last year with his dad, right? And he loves Kyle Allen. I think he really liked being able to run his offense with Kyle Allen. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't like Cam, but I think he realizes Cam's offense and what he wants to run are completely different. And so once the Redskins made the trade for Kyle Allen – I think that they really think Kyle Allen could be a starting quarterback for them and win games if Haskins can't work out. I don't see them going after Cam. Because if you wanted Cam, you could have had Cam for what you paid. Can you imagine they couldn't get anything for Cam and they got a fifth-round pick for Kyle Allen? Just think about that. Just think, If Bill O'Brien did this move, there'd be fucking 7,000 columns being written about what a stupid general manager Bill O'Brien is, right? Like it would be, it'd be coming out of the woodwork, right? How the fucking idiot, you know, you, only, you got nothing for Cam Newton? I mean, think about it. They got a pick for Kyle Allen and didn't get a pick for Cam. Well, people say, well, it's salary-related. Bullshit. Cam's at $16 million. That's fucking cheap for a starting quarterback, right? And it's all in paragraph five. And yeah, Cam doesn't have a next year on the deal, but shit, take the risk. You know, you're going to take the guy in. You got cap room. I mean, why wouldn't you do it? Kyle Allen? Seriously, think about that now. I'm telling you, if Bill O'Brien did this, there would be columns upon columns being written about, especially by guys who've never made a trade before in their life, just ripping the shit out of them. So let's go back to Cam. All right, I had to get that off my chest. Anyway, so then Cam, like, here's my question about Cam. And it really comes back to Sir Alex Ferguson. Did what we witnessed with Cam in 2015, was that a world-class moment or does he have a world-class career? I had somebody ask me the other day, is Cam a Hall of Famer? I mean, a Hall of Famer? I mean, first of all, let's put things in perspective here. He's never thrown consistently over in his career over 62% completions. Okay, never, never. His career average is 596 His yards per attempt, which you would think would be significant, is set 7.3. 2015 was by far his best season. Well, two years he had. In 2012, he was at 8-0. In 2015, he was at 7-8. That's when he threw 35 touchdowns and 10 interceptions, right? So when you put things in perspective, right, and you see how he's been able to. Look, he's run the ball the last two years. Since 15, he ran the ball 132 times. He averaged 4.8 yards a carry. Then he started slowly stop running, even though in 17 he averaged, he had 139, averaged 5.4. So for me is what is Cam? And for that question is perfectly answered by going to the Chargers because we'll bring you in. I mean, I would have traded for him if I was Tom Tedesco. I would have traded for him because I would have wanted that contract, right? I want that contract. You come in, you compete, you do the thing, and let's go. 
Yeah, we had talked about last year the, the money that Cam was going to be getting. As you said, I mean, that's a relative bargain for a starting quarterback, considering what other guys are getting, $25, 30000000 million, but Cam getting less than that. If you can get, and we're not saying if you're going to get a facsimile of 2015 when he won MVP, if he can just be a good starting quarterback at that salary, that was actually a really good affordable price, right? I don't know if people realize that. Unless you think you can get him cheaper, but now you've, you know, what's your competition? Okay. That's the same thing with Jameis. Like, I think Los Angeles has a great opportunity right now. I mean, they have a tremendous opportunity to really maybe perhaps fix their quarterback position for the long, long term. I mean, they could sign Cam and draft a guy. They could sign Cam, not draft a guy. They could sign Jameis. Look, nobody's more critical than I am on Jameis, right? And Anthony Lynn has made it very clear he wants nothing to do with quarterbacks that turn the ball over. I mean, Cam, in all honesty, Cam averages 2.7 interception percentage. His TD percentage is 4.6. His touchdown percentage is 2.7. I mean, he's not prone to just giving the ball away. I mean, Cam's pretty good at protecting the football. The most interceptions he ever thrown in his career was his rookie year. He threw 17. Now, you know, Jameis is prone to that, but my point here is, is why wouldn't you take this opportunity? This is a gift. Bill Walsh used to say this all the time. The NFL gives everybody an opportunity to get better. It's just some don't recognize it, right? And, and that's ultimately the essence of my next book. That, that is really is we see opportunity, you know, and we don't recognize it. Belichick sees opportunity, he takes advantage of it. Sherlock Holmes sees opportunity in a crime scene, he understands it. You know, the Vogels see something in a painting and they sell it and they buy it and then it becomes valuable. That's the essence of being truly successful is being able to recognize before it becomes. And sometimes you're going to miss. Like if you were, if Warren Buffett took over the Chargers, don't you think he would sign Cam or Jameis Winston just because of the value and, and the pedigree? Yeah, I was about to say, I don't know much about stocks, but it, it goes back to that theory of buy low, sell high. Like these guys are at their lowest ebb right now. Both have had good to great moments in their careers. And clearly now two teams who believed in them and thought they would be faces of the franchise have given up on them. So you're right. I mean, this, this is the moment where either guy you would think is going to be at his most motivated and most affordable. So like, why wouldn't you give one of these guys a spin? Just give him a test drive and away you go. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, look, there's nobody been more critical than I have on Jameis. I make fun of him all the time. But if I was working in a general manager's chair right now, if I was Tom or if I was some team that really felt like – if I were the Atlanta Falcons, I would think about it just to have a backup to Matt Ryan that actually if Matt I could make a decision on Matt Ryan. I, I mean, I would really think about it. And if I were Jameis Winston, if I was Drew Rosenhaus, who I think represents him, I'd be calling every team in the league – that I thought had a great quarterback coach. And I would say, look, I want to give you this guy. I don't care. Pay him the minimum. I don't care. Look, I'm going to give you this guy. You know, I want you to fix his career. I mean, I would be all over that. I mean, here's, I mean, let me ask you this question and think about this before answering. Would you rather have Jameis Winston or Jared Goff? Well, it's interesting. Winston, I think, has the bigger arm, big talent, but again, the turnovers, whereas Goff, I think, is limited. So you know what? I think I would actually go Winston. I think Winston, if you can mold him and shape him, for example, if you gave me Sean McVay with Jimmy Winston, I think that's an upgrade personally. I agree. And your hesitation in the answer made the answer exactly what I was thinking, is there's not $35 million of difference on a long-term contract between Jared Goff and Jameis Winston. There's not $35 million long-term contract between 
Cam Newton, and Jared Goff. I mean, really, when you're looking at your team and these two quarterbacks are on the street and say you have Goff rated at a 6-5 and say you have Winston at a 6-3 or a 6-2 and you have Cam rated at, you know, a 6-6 or 6, you know, at, based on the 15th season, you have rated as a 7-0, right? How much difference is there between the two? There's not enough for you to say, hey, look, screw it. You know, like, let's just pay this guy. This is the fallacy. This is where the Rams, because they feel like there was no inventory, made a, a complete mistake. And I hate to bring everything back to golf, but I think what golf is, is the issue is, let me ask you, if golf was in Tampa last year and Winston was in, in Los Angeles, what would the difference be? The difference is Sean McVay would have probably done a better job with them. I think that's to me, and, and I think the Rams now are trapped with golf. I, I think that question can't get answered correctly. Yeah, and I was about to say, if if right now you give Sean McVay a lie detector test and you said, forget about the money, just you had your choice of Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, or Jared Goff, I don't know if he's picking Newton or Winston, but I don't think he's picking Goff, right? I agree, and if I was working for the Patriots and I was in my office, I would be all over Bill to say, Bill, we should do this. This gives us a chance. And Bill might say to me, look, we got to, you know, the guy wants too much money. I get that. If he wants too much money, I'm all over. I'm done. Okay, I'm fine, right? Okay, that's fine. It's really about the number. But to me, if I were the GM, I would be on the phone with Rosenhaus selling my coordinator. Hey, look, this guy can make you a really good player. This guy's going to make you a top, top player. If you're the Cleveland Browns, and you've got Baker, great, great player, right? I mean, Baker ain't done shit, right? You know, like bring him in. You have an opportunity with two guys on the street to back end your team to make sure you don't get fucked in the most important position. Yeah. I wonder if if either Newton or Winston winds up in New England. I think that would be fascinating and to see what Bill Belichick could do with either of those guys if he believes, like you said, you want to make that move, and those guys are in the right mind frame. And, you know, obviously Jarrett Stidham's there, but there's lots of questions there to be determined. Uh, one other quarterbacking situation, XFL star P.J. Walker to sign with the Panthers. So they agreed to a two-year deal with Walker. And, of course, as you mentioned earlier, Kyle Allen gets traded to the Redskins for that fifth-round pick. I just think this is interesting. Walker's deal worth $1.565 million, $150,000 signing bonus, $25,000 workout bonus. So Allen was the guy, as we mentioned, started 12 games last season after Cam was out with a foot injury. But the XFL, Mike, paying dividends. P.J. Walker is in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, Matt Rule knows him. Right, you knew this was going to happen. I mean, the kid was going to go to. I mean, he'd been cut by other teams. He's going to go somewhere where it trusts the coach. So he goes back there. He gets them, and I mean, it really helps Carolina. I mean, Carolina right now, as they're building this team, right, and they haven't done anything with Luke Keekley. Luke Keekley still counts on their books. They haven't made a move with him. His cap number is right there at fifteen million. He counts on their books. But what they've been able to do is they've been able to manage themselves around $36 million of dead money. I mean, think about this. They've got Matt Khalil's dead money at 9.8. They've got Trey Turner's dead money at 9.5. They've got Eric Reed's dead money at $5 million. And yet they're trying to improve their team as they're going along. I think it's a smart sign. They've got two young quarterbacks, 
right? They got two young quarterbacks on their team that, you know, whether Bridgewater can stay healthy and do what they think he can do, or if Walker can come in and beat him out. And now he's building the team around him, you know, and he's creating, Matt's creating the team in his own personality, which I think he has to do. So, you know, I thought this would happen. And look, I think the one that flew under the carpet a little bit is Kansas sitting, signing the kid from the Blackhawks or whatever the hell the name of the team was in St. Louis. Tamai kid, Jordan Tamai, the runner kind of, you know, I thought that was an interesting sign. It gives him a third teamer, kind of a little bit of a change of pace guy that could be the next Taysom Hill. I mean, he could come in there and give them some third down, take some pressure off Mahomes on third down. Watch what Andy Reid does with him. I think that would be interesting. Andy Reid, of course, the quarterback whisperer in many ways. We're going to take a break in a second and talk about Peyton Manning, but one more topic, (laughs) Trent Williams. His agent said it's time for the Redskins to trade or release his client. You had predicted, with this couple weeks ago, Mike, the GM shuffle, where Trent Williams is going to go. You were suggesting Denver, but this is a guy, I mean, listen, there's no question he's talented, but a seven-time Pro Bowl tackle, and that he wants big money here from the Redskins, and they keep going back and forth. What do you think? Denver makes sense for this? I mean, there's a real wedge between Williams and D.C., their management team, and what they think of this guy. Yeah, no doubt. And I mean, look, he wants out of Washington and they're not going to change their culture until they get rid of him. I mean, they finally cut Monte Nicholson. I mean, Jesus Christ, how long did it take to do that? I mean, the first day on the job, I would have cut his ass. I mean, like that guy, everything he did, it was everything was wrong with the Redskins. You know, he was symbolic of that. He got to clean up their locker room. You know, look, I promise you, if the Eagles could get a hold of Trent Williams, they'd be all over him. They would be, I know they drafted Andre Dillard, but the Eagles know Trent Williams is a blue chip left tackle. The Jets should be all over him. Blue chip left tackle I mean if he's healthy the Browns should trade for him they got plenty of cap room they could sign him I mean it's hard to find blue chip left tackles Minnesota needs a blue chip left tackle and I think what I'm told is the price isn't a first round pick I think they want a second round pick and if that's the case you get a four-year starter at left tackle blue chip player if you've got the cap room hey the Bucks could use them I mean, there's so many teams that need him that could actually come in and sign him and use him. I would be all over it, assuming he's healthy, assuming he's healthy. I think there's a numerous amount of teams that need him, starting with any team like the Jets. They could certainly use him. The Giants should be all over him. I mean, trade Nate Solder in for Trent Williams. That's a huge upgrade right there. Minnesota, no, I know they've got Riley, but, I mean, they could move him to right tackle. I mean, they could do some things with him. Tampa Bay. I mean, there's just so many teams that need left tackles. I think, it, to me, it's ridiculous, and including the Redskins. I mean, if the Redskins think they're going to move Morgan Moses over to left tackle and then protect the quarterback, good luck with that. Or Cornelius Lucas, I don't see that one happening at all. Trent Williams is going to count $12.5 million versus the salary cap this season. If the Redskins release him, uh, they would save $10.5 million. So it seems inevitable he's going to be moving on. One guy who's not coming in is Peyton Manning. After the break, he refuses to join Monday Night Football. Plus, what are we up to during this self-quarantining time? What are we watching? What are we reading? We'll tell you next right here on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in 
instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Are you ready for some football? Peyton Manning says, no, thanks, I'm good. Uh, there have been many times ESPN has been courting him, and we all know what it's like when you're trying to court a lovely lady back in the day. She just keeps refusing your advances. You keep up at it, Mike. Say, listen, I'll, I'll get you a horse-drawn carriage. I mean, you need flowers, chocolates, candy, whatever you want, sweetie. A diamond ring, it's not going to work. In this case, Andrew Marsham of the New York Post reported that Peyton Manning's offer may have topped the record 10-year, $140 million deal that CBS gave to Tony Romo uh, in order to keep him there at CBS. Think about that. So Peyton, they were going to offer him, let's say it was 10 years, $150 million. $150 Fifty million dollars, and Payne's like, you know what? I'm good. I don't want to talk about football on TV for a living. I'm living a good life. I mean, I give him credit for knowing what he wants in life, but Mike, that's a ton of money. It, it is, and and you know, I think Peyton really wants to run an NFL team, and I think the only reason he keeps turning this down is because that's what he wants to do. And I think he wants to be a president of the team. I just don't know what team he's going to be the president of. You know, where is his connections? And and I'm not talking about he wants to run a team. I think he wants to be part owner of a team. I think he wants to be the Michael Jordan of the NFL. And I'm not sure Tom Brady doesn't want to do that either. I think both of them would probably like to run teams and be involved with teams. So this is why it's surprising to me that if he was on the Monday night circuit and he was doing that, you know, he would really get involved with teams, understand the whole dynamics of it, and I guess he just doesn't want to do it. But where is, you know, you're the ESPN expert here. Where do they go? What are they going to do? Well, it's interesting. You know, they always want a big name. You want a big star, and Peyton was the biggest fish out there. So, you know, when they auditioned all those people in the past – you know, they had Joe Thomas come in. Apparently, Joe was really funny. He was interesting, you know. But you say, well, he doesn't have the name recognition. You know, so many of these guys, Mike, it's always the quarterbacks, right? If you look at Fox, obviously, it's Troy Aikman. If you look at CBS, it's Tony Romo. When you look at, you know, NBC is one of the few outliers. Chris Collinsworth, wide receiver, and was a good player, but not a great player. But ultimately, ESPN would love one of these big names. I think if it's not Peyton Manning, maybe they wait a year, try to get Phillip Rivers. Um, you know, they're always trying to look at those big name quarterbacks. And unfortunately, there's just not many out there that want to do it. And the biggest reason is, listen, in the past, those guys weren't paid the way guys are today. And as you point out, Peyton and Brady, those guys have accumulated enough wealth that they can use that in a different direction, like how uh, Michael Jordan's done, Derek Jeter with the Marlins. If these guys are not clamoring to get into TV, you have to really want to do it. You have to love to do it. You know, Charles Barkley is the best because he likes talking for a living and he's funny and he's smart. All that comes across naturally but in the case of these guys they just don't have a desire to do it and that's the problem right now for ESPN you got to find a big name that wants to do this kind of stuff and I don't think they have one yeah and it is and I mean and every week you kind of wonder like where, where are they going to like I think to me you know they've got to find a way to kind of make it more 
enjoyable for the viewer. You know, I mean, right now it's just, it's, you know, that they don't have that. It's not entertainment. And I mean, when you go back to the first Monday nights when it had Dan and Howard and Frank Gifford did the play-by-play. I mean, it, those three guys were entertaining. The games were, were just kind of like the fodder for their entertainment. And they've tried to do it with Dennis Miller and Rush Limbaugh and all that. But I think they just haven't come up with the right combination of people. you know. And look, here's the reality. I love football as much as anybody. People want to know about football. They want to know what they've just watched, but they don't want a clinic on the techniques of the five technique. Like they don't want a clinic of that. Like that just gets too monotonous, right? That just get you got to have some humor. You got to have some, and that's what made John Madden so good. You know, John was able to bring humor to trying to explain the game, and that's what I don't think we have right now. And we don't have enough real knowledge of the game, and we got to teach people the game in a, in a funny, different way. And that's why it's just not a joke. Where Peyton could have done that, Peyton could bring that element to it. And some coaches can, and some coaches can't. You know, but for me, I think if I were Joe and Booger, I would not be thinking this is going to last much longer. Yeah, you mentioned those different moves they've made in the past. You know, Dennis Miller. I love when Kornheiser was in the booth. I mean, I thought Tony was pretty good because, again, you're right. He was trying to bring a different sensibility. And, and Tony knows his football. He's not going to be breaking down technique, like you said. But I always thought Kornheiser was pretty good because he was witty and he was funny and he was giving opinions. And especially if the game got out of hand, you need to have a guy like that who, like you said, at the end of the day, what is this? I mean, you talk all the time about muting the TV. It's about entertainment, man. Just hopefully it's great games and bring some entertainment. Simple as that. Yeah, and look, if they put Kornheiser and Wilpon on there with a play-by-guy, let those two kind of go back and forth, you know, and have a conversation and don't go all berserk after a guy catches an out route for three yards, you know? Like, I mean, to me, that's the real issue. So I wish Peyton would do it. I think Peyton has bigger issues. I think that's ultimately the story here is he really wants to do something more than than that. But I think the Romo contract is really clearly, it tells us all, it's the number one rated show. Right. Think about this. Put it in perspective. Whenever those NFL games come on, those shows are ranked in the top. And any actor or actress who who does like what do you think the cast of Modern Family makes? Right. Those shows, I mean, they're making maybe a million bucks. I mean, not not the top. I mean, listen, Ed O'Neill, whatever, maybe he's making seven hundred fifty thousand an episode. Sure. So you're doing twenty episodes, you figure out the money, but you're right. For Romo, he's worth it. It's worth it, right? It's no different than paying Ed O'Neill or Sophia, whatever her last name is. Uh, you know, Sophia I mean, Vergara, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what do you think she's making? A million dollars an episode, right? Yeah, probably at this point, 22 episodes. So there's 22 million. All right, fair enough. So that's what I think we, we tend to look at it in a completely different way. Like, that's the problem. The star power, you got to shift it. It's like, really, like, I follow, you know, we all follow free agency. And really, I mean, let's face it, no one can compete with Adam Schefter. He's his own newsfeed. Like he is his own newsfeed. He doesn't need ESPN. ESPN needs him, right? Because if Adam Schefter just went to Twitter and just reported all the shitty news without the ESPN umbrella underneath of it, the worldwide leader, he could create his own niche. He's a newsfeed, right? So we we have this tendency to look at things in a way to where it's completely different. You know, Tony Romo does NFL games on Sunday, so he shouldn't make that much money. Well, Tony Romo's show ranks higher than Modern Family, so why is Sophia making more than him? Yeah, 
I agree, man. Listen, when people always it's always like in sports, they go, I can't believe the players are making this much. Well, look what the owners are making. If the owners aren't making that much and the players wouldn't be making that, it's all about supply and demand. And, and good for Tony Romo. And I'm sure ESPN will keep trying to figure out what they want to do with the Monday Night Football booth. Coming up next, there's been a real void right now without watching sports. So Mike and I will tell you what we've been up to, whether it's watching movies, binging TV shows, reading some good books, uh, some methods right now to deal with self-quarantining next on the GM Shuffle. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, a plug here for Cinefa. The latest episode, I talked to Patrick Gallo. He's the guy who plays Tony Jack in The Irishman, Mike. My favorite scene of the movie is when Pacino and Stephen Graham are going back and forth. Jimmy Hoffa and Tony Pro, they've got the sit-down in Miami. And Patrick Gallo is Tony Jack. That's the guy who comes in with Stephen Graham. He's his buddy. And on the latest Cinephile, he told me about that scene. He said it took them eight hours to shoot it. He said Scorsese was unbelievable. He called him in. He goes, right, Patty, come on in here. First time meeting De Niro. First time meeting Pacino. They sat there. They workshopped the scene. They discussed how to go about it. Literally, how do we walk into the scene? You know, Stephen Graham walks in, big smile, cigar. Patty comes in. He shakes Jimmy's hand. He gives De Niro a kiss on the cheek. He goes, they went through all that stuff. He said, eight hours. And he goes, honestly, in between breaks of shooting, I would go outside and call my mother and I'd be crying. Like, I can't believe it. I'm acting with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino. And she's like, no, no, you did it. I'm like, no, no, mom, you did it. You paid my rent all those years. I couldn't do it because I wanted to be an actor. And then I go back in there and do the scene. At the end, he says, they're, they're finished up rapper and shooting. And he goes, hey, Bob, can I get a picture? And De Niro's like, yeah, of course, of course. So he goes, I, I got Robert De Niro's arm around me. I got Scorsese's arm around me. And then after 20 seconds, De Niro goes, you got someone to take the picture? <laughs> He'd asked him for a picture that forgot to give somebody his phone. So Rodrigo Prieto, the cinematographer, took a picture. But uh, great stories in the latest cinephile talking to that guy. I mean, I know you love the Irishman as much as I did. So I, I, I love that scene, but I love the scene where they're both in the, uh, you know, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Your million five is still there. <laughs> My million two is gone. Yet we're both sitting here. Yeah. That to me is the best scene. I, yeah. I could watch that scene the whole day. Yeah, that's right. right. That's the best scene. <laughs> Normally you'd be watching Sixers games right now, March Madness. I mean, what are you doing with your time? Well, I mean, I've this I'm bitching about Homeland. So Millie, you know, we've watched Homeland. The first season was great, second season not so good. Then it started going down and I've kind of like it's like a bad addiction, right? And so now I watch it and I just make fun of it. Like it's the most ridiculous show on television. Like I would love to be in the writer's room to understand, like, first of all, this woman's a CIA informant. She works there. She has a code of conduct. Meanwhile, no rules apply to her. 
No rules apply. She can leave an airport in a minute, have a Russian agent pick her up. Like, like seriously, like who's writing that show, AD? Like who's writing? It's, it might be the dumbest show I've ever seen written that still is on television. Like I'm wondering why my screenplay can't get my, Mine would be way better than that. Trust me. Yeah. Homeland is one of the all-time shows of shows that started out with a bang. And I agree with you. That first season was electrifying, like crackling tension between her and Brody and is he or isn't he and is he going to blow himself up? I mean, it was amazing. They're in the cabin. I mean, there's tension all over the place and then just fell off a cliff. I couldn't agree with you more. I watched the second season. I'm like, eh, it's okay. By the third season I punted I go okay I'm done with this like she just keeps doing the same thing over and over Claire Danes oh she's crazy Claire again and she, oh now she's out of control and I love Mandy Patinkin he's just got the great beard he's Saul I said he's not enough of a reason for me to watch this so once Brody was gone after season three I said I'm done and to your point I can't believe Millie's still sticking with it I think my brother's still watching I go who the hell is still watching this I think Alec Ganza Alex Ganza I believe is the writer he, I don't know if he's still doing a lot of the shows but he was the creator of it still involved but I think you're right I think that's where the writer staff ends up changing you have the same creators and producers but you don't have the same flow i'm i'm with you i thank god this is the final season it's on because i don't want to hear any more complaining about how bad the show is I mean, between that and Ray Donovan, I mean, there could be no more unrealistic writing than I've ever seen. I'm watching, I finished The Outsiders. I want to go to uh, The Murder in Valhalla next. I want to see that next. And it's going to be some series where it can go for days because, you know, where I am down here in South Jersey, we only have three cases of the quarantine, but we've quarantined. I mean, I haven't left the house. Like I said, we've been doing this from uh, remotely. So, you know, I, I think that's the plan. Reading-wise, I've got more than enough to read. I've been reading the, the Churchill book, Splendid in the Vile, and I've been reading every book Gary Klein has ever written about decision-making. So those are, that's kind of what's taken my day as I try to get this proposal for the next book out there. I about to say, do you at least get to take the dogs for a walk, or are you just staying in the house at all times? Walk the dogs every day. Yeah, if, assuming we can get them out there. If, if I don't walk Bella every day, if Millie and I don't walk Bella every day, there's a revolt going on in the house. She'll be up your ass like, like get me outside. I got to go for it. Like, it's literally, you have to walk her or she'll just go crazy. <laughs> I got to, she's like my godfather, Sal. He stays in the house all day. He goes crazy. Even though he's got a bad back, he got to go out. You know, just you just got to do it. So yeah, no, we get out for a walk. It's actually good. It's kind of, there's a sense of mindfulness now in the way that where you don't have to worry about doing anything. I think this is the greatest part of being quarantined is it really helps us develop more mindfulness in terms of staying in the moment. If you said to me, what is Belichick's greatest strength? I would say his ability to focus and concentrate on the task at hand. People think multitasking is an incredible virtue. No one can multitask. No one. It's been proven by science. No one can multitask. What mall multitask does is means you're distracting in a lot of different areas. Whereas people that really understand how to see things, observe things, and get ahead is they focus and they stay mindful of what they're doing. I've tried to do that. I've tried to limit as much social media as I can. I've tried to take them off the phone. I've tried to do as much as I can with still trying to get your information out there because if you don't you're just going to end up being like that diner you can't cook it all good 
Yeah, and like you said, just have an attitude of gratitude. Be grateful you're with your loved ones right now, and we'll get through this. But I think for a lot of people, it's that fear of the unknown, right? Is this going to be two months? Is this three months? Is this six months? Like, nobody knows. Like, every time I turn on the news, it's more depressing. So, like, okay. Like, I literally turn on the news today. It says, New York City epicenter of... And I go, okay, well, I, I don't want to know any more about this. I'll put my head down. I'm going to talk football with Mike, and hopefully we'll get through this. Everybody out there, wash your hands. Follow us on Instagram, at the GM Shuffle. Plenty more football talk. Next week, we're going to talk with top five draft picks and more draft conversation. But uh, plenty more coming up here on the Shuffle. Enjoy Churchill. Enjoy Gary Klein, Mike. And keep dumping on Homeland.